Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblast, and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we chart the future of banking automation technology. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry on March 26, 2021. Uh, a hearty thanks to Bank Automation News, Advertisers, MX, Vena Solutions, and NVIDIA for their support. So thank you to them. And I am uh, pleased to be joined by Lorraine Lawson and Jaspreet Kalra uh, from the Bank Automation News editorial team. Hello to both of you and welcome. Welcome everyone. Uh, first to general tech news. Uh, it is still early days, but one forecast suggests uh, that adoption uh, is a, a adoption of uh, AI in venture capital decisioning is about to pick up. Uh, AI is expected to be involved in 75% of venture capital investment decisions by 2025, and that's up from less than 5% today, uh, and according to a Gartner forecast, so relevant to our bank automation news community. Uh, KFC owner Yum Brands uh, is buying Israel-based startup TikTok Technologies, I hope I said that correctly, that helps customers order food to go via text. The technology turns around a customer's order in as fast as 60 seconds. I am sure KFC eaters will be happy about that. <laughs> Digital banking service Greenwood, um, which was founded by Killer Mike, who I think is a rapper, but I'm not quite sure, but I, I'm not quite sure, uh, to help, and this was founded to help Black and Latino individuals and business owners raised $40 million in a Series A. Uh, also in uh, venture funding, Notarize, which lets users sign and notarize official documents digitally, raised $130 million in a Series D to hit a valuation of $760 million. And it says its revenue grew 600% since March of 2020. Two banking automation technology news. Our general theme today is why, API, why APIs are so needed in automation. And what, triggers it, what triggered this discussion is the news that UiPath has purchased cloud elements. Lorraine, maybe you could kick us off uh, tell us a little bit about this purchase and what it says about API usage within uh, banking automation. Well, APIs are important because they allow uh, connections, integrations to be more secure, stable, and perform better than, say, going through a user interface, which is what RPAs typically do. And it is, it's API integration has been a weak spot for API RPA providers in the past, which became painfully clear if you were using an RPA to automate, say, for instance, payroll protection program applications. So banks that used RPA found themselves completely shut out by the Small Business Administration, uh, which just shut down the bots. And part of that is, you know, the bots are just duplicating what a human would do. So if a human's going to, for instance, email the application in, it's just going to overwhelm the servers 
by having thousands of bots doing it, like having thousands of people doing it versus an API, which is, uh, so think about if you're at a table and if everybody in the restaurant goes up to the counter to order their own food versus having a waitress who takes everybody's order, puts them in order, and then brings them to the chef, right? So one is very organized, the other can get very chaotic. And this is basically what happened during the um, Small Business Administration's first PPP round. So they shut down bots. People who use bots to automate were shut out versus the APIs who were able to continue to submit their applications. So that's why this is a huge plea for UiPath. It gives them, I think, over 200 new native integrations, which means they'll be able to do more sophisticated automation use cases. So this deal was announced this week. Um, and would, would and this kind of goes to, let's, we could open this to both of you. I mean, their APIs have been a part of the uh, automation technology um, setup for a while, but what kind of new APIs are necessary or why, is, why does UiPath need um, uh, need to acquire cloud elements, which is a provider of API solutions. Well, APIs have been around a while, but they're kind of a specialty, right? So integration companies typically use them. Uh, for PPP, they've been, or for RPA, they've been focused on producing robots and they just haven't developed that techn technology as much. Uh, so it's, it's less a matter of them having the technology and more a matter of them having more of the technology. So the more APIs, the more you're able to integrate with different enterprise solutions and an, even outside your organization, if that makes sense. Jaspreet, how does this extend to other facets of uh, financial technology? I mean, the way I sort of look at it is that if you're thinking about connecting data, you need different pipes and API is one of the most prominent sort of pipes to do that. And which is why you're seeing a lot of traction among companies towards this approach, because no matter who you talk to in the industry, there is one line that comes out pretty clearly, which is data is the oil of this industry. You need access to that oil to be able to create good value products. And that's why I think APIs and when APIs meet RPAs, that becomes a sort of extended connection within that information pipeline. And the way it connects to sort of, you know, how, how other sectors within the vertical are looking at it, you're seeing something like regulation tech which is now increasingly accommodating things like RPA, things like AI. So a new study by Juniper Research came out last week which talked about how by implementing AI-infused technology that checks regulation and compliance, banks could end up saving over $460 million over the, next over the course of the next five years. So you're really seeing these well-standardized data-rich or say rules-rich tasks being implemented using technologies like RPA and especially AI-infused RPAs. Are there, are there limits to this? Um, is there, you know, like what, how does, how do the APIs need to be built as we kind of move more into an AI driven overall technology environment for a financial uh, institution? Ray, do you want to take that? Yeah, I can answer a little bit about that. So if you've ever, so think about Going back to before APIs, basically what you had was ETL, extract, transform, and load. It was a complicated process involving a lot of lines of code. If you've ever looked at an API, they're actually around 10 to 20 lines of code. They're very short pieces of code, and so they're very effective at what they do. 
Um, so I don't know how they need to change to evolve for AI, but the point is they're very simple, simple pieces of code for developers to use. So I think, um, I think it makes a lot of sense to use AI and, and to couple that with API so that the data can go through very quickly versus the, sort of the alternatives, which is older technologies. Is it the, is it the connections that cloud um, elements had that really attracted UiPath or because if you're saying that the that the the technology is actually kind of simple it's actually not that much code is it just meaning those I think you said it was something like 200 or so uh, connection is that the real driver for UiPath to be able to generate you know high return off this acquisition well you have to remember it's code that's that's coordinated between different softwares. So you have to make sure it works with say SAP and Oracle. And so there is, you know, an expertise in, in developing them just because it's short doesn't mean it doesn't take expertise. So um, they're buying, you know, the fact that this is already done for them is, is how I see it now. I haven't, did I talk to you, Um It would be interesting to ask them more questions, but what uh, I've been told by IDC analysts, um, sorry, the name escapes me, Neil Ward-Dutton, is that this is a big play for them and will enable them to do even more sophisticated automation. So sort of moving from a tactical, just bot approach to a more strategic approach that's allowing you to reach across more enterprise applications. Jasper, uh, maybe we could touch a little bit on uh, on kind of another uh, uh, development in the industry, which is the revelation of the extent to which there are cyber threats in uh, within credit unions and and the automated solutions that are necessary to resolve those. Maybe a little bit of background on that would be helpful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so. What really triggered that report was the study by cybersecurity sort of inf information analytics firm Black Kite, which talked about how very commonplace mistakes can expose credit unions to a lot of risk, say something as simple as a leaked credential. So just to get some background on this, the dark web is a fascinating place that many of us will never visit. And some of us that do understand that it's weirdly complicated, but you can also find things that you would not find anywhere else. So I was speaking with the chief information security officer at Blackkite, and what he told me is that they've been noticing a lot of data dumps coming out, which contain these credentials that employees at credit unions might be using to log in. Or even if it's not an employee, if it's a vendor that the credit union uses, say for marketing or for mobile payments, if those vendors have security flaws, that network effect of the internet really extends into real liability or real vulnerability for these credit unions. So I think what's going to be very center stage going forward is how do you monitor for threats? And I think automation really brings in that point where you continuously monitor for threats instead of reacting through a threat when it occurs. So those things are going to be pretty important. And another thing that I found worth noting was that a lot of these websites that are now, have just recently gone digital or like going digital very strongly now, they're using some, they, sometimes they end up using forms that do not attend, limit the number of attempted requests you can make. So like you could keep logging in, keep logging in, keep logging in. And the study found about 70% 
of credit union websites had at least one login form where a bot could be deployed to continuously make attempts and crash the website. So how Lorraine was talking about the number of bots actually forced the small business administration to shut them down here. When an attacker uses those bots to do things again and again, you, you run into problems as well. So I think as things get more and more sophisticated, more and more sophisticated solutions will be necessary to fight against them. Is there something about credit unions that make them more vulnerable or what about that community kind of seems to amplify the situation? I think there's a couple of factors there. With the pandemic itself, people turned towards local banking more, that you, you started banking at your local organization and they also went digital. So it's like a two-way factor there at the same time. And like any attacker, like any sort of adversary, hackers also look for weak links. And the weakest links sometimes happen when your growth has gone up, your assets under management have gone up, but cybersecurity hasn't been invested in. So you're still running the systems that you were say running five years ago and a small vulnerability like a software patch or like an employee using the same login and password for their Instagram profile and for their bank profile could end up being a major risk point. I mean, we all know the infamous password, SolarWinds123, which came into the headlines recently. But then again, I think it's a lot about basic cyber hygiene and the sort of threat monitoring that any organization does. And big banks are able to do it better because they sort of invest more in it. To that yeah. point, if I could just say, credit unions aren't the only ones outsourcing their security. Uh, we had news this week that Progress Bank and American Riviera Bank, who are both smaller banks, are, have outsourced uh, their cybersecurity to SEI, which is a... Um, a regulated company that manages and administrates hedge, private equity, mutual funds, and pooled or separately managed assets. So that may be a trend that we, we're seeing here to, to outsource security so that you can automate security. So that's something that I, I will be uh, looking at going forward. Uh, Lorraine, Jasprey, what else do we have uh, planned for our our? Hello? Oh, sorry. Uh, next week, we have five questions with Ally Finance's Chief Information Data and Digital Officer. And we'll also be taking a look at why process mining is a critical step for automation. Jaspreet? Oh, is that, oh, do you have? Yeah, I mean, so for the next week, uh, so far, I've been reporting on what, what is happening in the mortgage automation vertical. So we'll have that story on. And I've also been looking into how personal savings algorithms are being used by users and whether they're a useful tool that is being enabled by AI right in our smartphones for all of us. Oh, I need to know that. <laughs> all right, well, uh, thank you so much to both of you and thank you everyone for, for joining us on this episode of The Buzz. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you next time. Please uh, visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more coverage uh, of the market and also uh, follow us on Twitter um, and LinkedIn. Uh, please uh, don't hesitate to rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, we're so happy you joined us. We'll see you next time.